Today we're going to be in Exodus chapter 12 looking at the 10th plague, uh, the Passover. And so what I would like to do is I'm going to read the first 14 verses to you. And then we're going to jump to kind of the middle. And I'm going to read verses 29 through 32, okay? So just follow me there. If you'd like to stand, you sure can. Uh, If you'd rather be seated, that's great as well. I'm going to begin in Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, shall, take, shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in the water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is unleavened, what is leaven, from the first day until the seventh day, the person shall be cut off from Israel. Now jump to verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who is in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt. For there was not a house where someone was not dead. And then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night, and he said, Up, go out from among the people. Both you and the people of Israel, go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. Father, we thank you for this beautiful gospel picture. God, I pray that you would um, teach us what it means to be under the blood of Jesus. Teach us what it means to rejoice in forgiveness and a new identity. God, teach us what it means to be forgiven. Father, I pray that this would be a day of worship for us, a day of remembering the gospel, a day of applying the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So this morning, we're going to look at the 10th plague. Now, if you've been with us, you know that uh, 
We've been, we've been moving through the Exodus story as God is bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt. He is doing that through plagues, okay? Uh, we saw the blood turned to Nile. We saw the gnats and the frogs and the, and the locusts and the hail and the darkness. And now we are to the 10th plague, uh, which is the plague of the Passover, which is the death of every firstborn of every household that is not covered in the blood of the lamb. Now, lest you think that this is just about God bringing his people out of Israel, I, I want you to see it's about more than that. You know, this plague is somewhat different than the other plagues in that most of the other plagues, the Israelites were just kind of separate and on their own. Like, like darkness would fall on Egypt and not on Goshen, where the Israelites were. Hail would fall on the Egyptians, it wouldn't fall on the Israelites. Um, th that was with most of the plagues. This plague is different, though. In this plague, there... The Israelites are indeed under the judgment of God as well as the Egyptians, okay? The judgment of God is coming for them as well. But God has instructed them to place the blood of the lamb over their lives. And so what I would like to do is I would like to show you that there's more going on with Israel slaughtering these lambs at twilight and placing the blood over the door there's more going on than God just bringing his people out of Egypt. God, God is actually continuing a story that will go from the beginning of the scriptures to the end of the scriptures. Actually, what I want to show you is that the entire Bible is actually about the blood of the lamb. All right? So let's do a little review. We, we, we've been doing that, so let's do that again. So if you start in the beginning of the Bible, you find creation. God creates, uh, creates all that there is. He creates mankind, creates man in his own image, and it is good. God's design is good. His, his design is perfect. He has perfect fellowship with man, and then sin enters the world. When sin enters the world, in Genesis chapter 3, everything breaks. Adam and Eve don't trust God. They don't believe God. They don't follow God, and, and their hearts are, 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 are fallen, okay? Humanity has fallen. And sin and misery into the world with such a force that by Genesis chapter 6, God must destroy the entire world in a worldwide flood and start over with one family Noah. That tells you what sin will do in your life. It will wreck you. It wrecked the world. Okay? In Genesis chapter 12, God appears to a man named Abraham. And to Abraham, God tells him, I'm going to promise you some things, Abraham. I'm going to promise you you're going to have a son in your old age, and that son's going to have a family, and that family is going to become a nation, and that nation is going to inherit a land. And in that nation and in that land, there's going to come a Messiah, a Savior, a hero, a champion who's going to save the world. So Abraham believes God. The Bible says it was actually credited to Abraham's account righteousness because he believed. He believed that God was not lying, that God would do as he promised, and he began to follow God. Well, Abraham indeed had a son, Isaac, in his old age, at 100 years old. And Isaac grew to boyhood, and then in Genesis 22, something happens. God tells Abraham, I want you to take your son, and I want you to sacrifice him back to me. Now, one of the amazing things that, that you're going to find as you read Genesis 22 is that Abraham somehow knows what's going on here in the sense that he doesn't question that Isaac must die. He didn't question that, 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 that there must be an offering of sin to atone for sin. Abraham doesn't question that. The reason that's so amazing to me is that most people in our culture would absolutely question all of that, okay? 
You see, Abraham had this understanding that I am undeserving. I'm undeserving. I'm a sinner. I'm under the wrath of God, and there needs to be atonement made. Abraham knew that. You know what I believe most people in our culture believe? They believe this. I'm a pretty good person, better than most for sure, and God owes me a good life and a good eternity. And you know how I know most people believe that? Because whenever suffering enters into their life, what, what do you find? You guys have been around enough suffering people that, that you probably know, right, right? Whenever suffering enters into our life, we start going, God, what are you doing? Like, you're letting me down. Like, I, why? Why is God letting us down in suffering? Because we deserve, right? We deserve a good life. We deserve to be healthy. We deserve to have wealth and riches and prosperity for things to go well. And we certainly deserve an eternity, right? So, so we, we, in some ways, are, are opposed to Abraham's thought. But Abraham, just by, Nate, by, by, I guess, knowing God, understands that he deserves the wrath of God and there must be an atonement made. So Abraham gets Isaac and he gets the wood and he gets the fire and they start up the mountain and they get to the top of the mountain and they build an altar there and Abraham puts Isaac on the altar and he takes the knife and it's in the air and right as he's to come down, he's going to kill his son Isaac. Hebrews 11 tells us that Abraham believed that God would raise him from the dead and as the knife is about to come down, God stops him and says, Abraham, stop, don't harm the boy. I know that you trust me. I know that you believe me. And then Abraham looks, and in the thicket, there's a ram who's caught by his horns. And Abraham takes the lamb, puts it on the altar, slays the lamb in the place of Isaac. The lamb dies, and Isaac lives. Well, God keeps keeping his promises. That's what God does, right? Isaac had a son, Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. Uh, the second to youngest of those 12 sons was Joseph, who got sold into slavery by his brother's treachery. He goes to Egypt. He rises up in the prisons of Egypt to be, to be uh, second in command to Pharaoh. Uh, he saves the known world in a terrible famine. Jacob and his family travel to Egypt uh, for food. Joseph rescues them, brings him into Egypt, but then Joseph dies and the Pharaoh dies. And another Pharaoh rises up and says, I don't know who you guys are. I don't know why you're here. And he enslaves them. And then the children of Israel are enslaved for 400 years while they multiply greatly. And then God appears to a man named Moses, right? That's our series. He appears to Moses and tells Moses, I want you to deliver my people Egypt out. You're going to deliver my children of Israel out, and they're going to go to the promised land. And as God begins to do that, he sends plague after plague after plague to show his might to, to Egypt, who does not know him. And then finally, in the last plague, God does something different. He says to all of Egypt and to all of Israel, my wrath is coming upon sin. And the only way for you to be saved is for you to do what? Kill a lamb and take that lamb, take its blood and put it over your doorpost and on, on, on the sides of your, 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 your door and get inside. And that's the only way my judgment will not come to your house. Well, after the Passover, as God delivers his people out of Egypt, guess what? Every year, you know what they do? They celebrate, because God told them to, we'll get to that here in a minute. They celebrate the Day of Atonement. So every year, they would bring a lamb and they would sacrifice that lamb on the altar there, first in the tabernacle and then in the temple. And they would sprinkle the blood on, on the altar and they would know that the lamb died instead of us, right? 
And so for hundreds of years, lambs were being slain, right? It started with Genesis in Genesis 22 with Abraham and the ram caught in the thicket and then the Passover lambs. And now over and over and over again through the Old Testament, you find these lambs being slain so that the people would not be judged. And then you have passages like Isaiah, who Isaiah sees in the future that this hero that's coming, he... He's going to, Isaiah 53, 4, he's going to bear our griefs and he's going to carry our sorrows and he's going to be crushed and pierced for our sins. And then he says in verse 7 of Isaiah 53, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. You've got all these lambs being sacrificed for the sins of God's people. And now you've got the prophet saying, the one who's coming is going to be slaughtered like a lamb. And then you have Jesus stepping into his public ministry. And John the Baptist, who's been preparing the way for the Messiah. John sees Jesus there on the banks of the Jordan. Do you remember what he said? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then after Jesus' public ministry, after Jesus had had displayed clearly his authority over death and demons and disease and disasters, after he's shown what the kingdom of God is, he gathers his disciples together in Matthew 26, and they're going to eat the Passover feast. What's the Passover? That's what's here in Exodus 12, right? Where where, where the Israelites killed the lamb and put the blood above their door. And and remember, they're celebrating. So the disciples now, centuries later are celebrating that and Jesus rises from the table and he takes the bread and he says, take, eat, this is my body. And he takes the cup and he says, this is the blood of the covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of your sins. I don't think the disciples fully got it, but do you see what he was saying? I'm the Passover lamb. I'm the lamb, right? Right? And then the Bible finally ends in Revelation chapter 14. I'm sorry, chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5 with this vision of what will take place in the heavens. And if you'll just bear with me, I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it all because I love it so much, okay? I know it's long, but I'd be cheating you if I didn't read it, okay? So this this is what's happening in the heavens, okay? And and before the throne and uh, the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, okay? So you have a a lamb that looks as if it had been slain, but yet it has seven horns. That represents ultimate power. A horn was like a power in the Bible, okay? It had seven horns and, and it had seven eyes. Eyes represented wisdom or all-knowing, okay? So you have a lamb that looks as if it had been slain, but it is all-powerful and all-knowing, okay? It says uh, in verse 7, uh, and, and he went and took from the scroll. So the lamb takes the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of full of incense, which are the, are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. And you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God. 
and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And all the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped people from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. What do you find? A lamb. So we know that what's happening in Exodus 12 is not just about Israel coming out of Egypt. What's happening in Exodus 12 is about your and my only means of salvation. So what do we find in this story? Okay, So a couple of the key elements. Number one, we find a deserved judgment. Okay, God is bringing a great judgment upon Israel. Egypt, okay? Now, again, this story is about more than Egypt and Israel and the promise. It's about more than that. 1 Corinthians 10 says it's teaching us eternal truths. It is teaching us that there is a great judgment coming, all right? So when you read about this judgment, when you, when you read in, in, in Exodus chapter 11, verse 6, that there shall be a great cry throughout all of the land of Egypt, such as there has never been. What is the Bible trying to teach us? It's teaching us that there is coming a judgment that is is more, is greater than it's ever been or ever will be. God's judgment upon sin. Here in Exodus is the death of every firstborn. Okay, now the firstborn son of every family was, was unique in that they represented the family. All right? So again, there, there's a message here. It's not just, it's not just these, these, you know, every family, every firstborn dies. Okay, it's more than that. It, it's the representation of God is bringing judgment on all these families. Judgment is coming for all. So my friends, what I would encourage you with today is, is to embrace the bad, bad news that you are a broken sinner. You're a sinner and that your sin deserves judgment. What I've found is that hardly anybody, there are some, but hardly anybody argues with me that they're a sinner. Most people know that they're a sinner. What people struggle with is that their sin deserves the judgment and wrath of God in a place called hell. I think for most people in our culture, we have this assumption that, you know what? I look at my life, and I think I've tried my best. And I think I'm pretty good. I think I'm better than a lot of people. And so if I think that, surely God thinks the same. Okay, now, I, I, would, I would argue with your reasoning, okay? Let, let, me give you, let me give you an example that ought to clearly show that your, your reasoning has a serious hole in its logic, okay? There's lots of married people here today, okay? Uh, lots of married people as I look around, Shelby and Sue and Donnie and Lynn and Dan and Whitney. And I, I bet even, even though Dan and Whitney have not been very, married very long, I, I bet they've experienced the same thing that Fred and Karen have and, and uh, Ed and Marilyn and others in this room. I bet, I bet they've experienced that, that there are times where you feel like you're perfectly in the right, okay? 
Are you following me so far, right? You feel like I've done nothing wrong. Like, like I'm in this situation, in this conversation, I am perfectly in the right. And your spouse says, you are in the wrong, right? Like, and you have this, this clash of, of perspectives, you know? And, and married couples, like they love each other. Like they love, they love each other more than they love anybody in this world. And yet they have this clash of trying to figure out, Fred just bopped Karen in the head. Hey, let's, let's keep it down, guys. This is just an illustration, okay? There's this clash of, of man, I, I feel like I did nothing wrong. And the other's like, well, I feel like I did nothing wrong. And you're both like, but you did something wrong, right? Now, if, if we have that amongst each other, is it not possible that me feeling like I've, I'm perfectly in the right, I could be absolutely in the wrong with God. That is the case. We're sinners. We're broken. We've not loved God as we ought to have loved Him. We've not loved people as we ought to have loved them. We've not honored God. God deserves all glory and honor and praise. You just heard it in, in Revelation 5. Man, there's coming a day when every Every molecule in the universe will bow its knee and will lift its voice to the praise of the Lamb. That's not happening right now. You look around our town, there are people that do not. You look at us. There are days when we do not honor God. We are broken in our sin and our our sin deserves judgment. That judgment in the Bible is called hell. Now listen, hell has become a word in America at least that's kind of a joke, right? We use it for uh, exaggeration. We use it for extremes, right? We use it for when it's really, really hot or it's really, really cold or it's really, really humid or there's a whole lot of mosquitoes, right? Or, or, or something really stinks or, or whatever. That, that's the way that our culture uses hell. It uses it in a, in a way that's flippant. That's not the way the Bible describes it. Let me read you some passages of Scripture. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, and flame, verse 8, and flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and away from the glory of His might. In Matthew chapter 25, in verse 41, it says, Then He will say to those on His left, Depart from Me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. In Mark chapter 9, verse 43, it says, If your right hand caused you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot caused you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. If your eye caused you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and where the fire is not quenched. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 10, it says, He will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark on its name. My friends, hell is serious. The judgment of God is serious. 
And if the blood of the lamb is not applied to your life, you will be under the judgment of God. So let's look in Exodus 12 quickly at what Israel was to do, and let's take lessons for ourselves. So in Exodus 12, 3, it says they are to take a lamb. Every household is to take a lamb. I, I love the emphasis on household in this passage. I love the emphasis on you are to be responsible for your children and your children's children. I, I love that, that emphasis. It challenges me in, in thinking about salvation and bringing my family to Christ. But it says every household was to take a lamb. In verse 5, it says the lamb was to be without spot, without blemish. It was to be a perfect lamb, no defects in the prime of life. In verse 6, it says on the 14th day of the month, at twilight, everyone is to kill their lamb. And then in verse 7, it says they're to take the blood of that lamb on, on, on a branch of hyssop, and they're to paint it on the sides, on the doorposts of their house, to the door, and over the top, over the top beam, so that in the entrance to their house, so that you couldn't face their house, go in their house, enter their house, without entering in under the blood of the Lamb. And my friends, if I could pause right there, I would tell you this. I would tell you it is not enough for you to know about Jesus. It is not enough for you to know about His death his shed blood, it must be applied to your life. It was not enough for them to kill the sacrificial lamb and even to eat the feast. They had to take the blood and apply it to their life. And I would tell you this morning that you must repent of your sins. This is how we apply the blood of Jesus to our life. You must repent of your sins. That means you're done with your way. You're done with, 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 with unbelief and with a life of disobedience. You're done with that and you turn in faith, in faith to Jesus, believing that he is the sacrifice for your sins, that he is the shed blood to pay for your iniquities, believing that he is king. He is the lamb on the throne who will open the seal, who will be worshipped by the universe, believing that Jesus is all of that and that you want him to be that for you. That you want him to be that for you. Apply the blood of Jesus to your life. In verse 8, they ate it. They ate the lamb. And did you notice they ate all of it? Okay? Uh, there's, there's an emphasis on you eat it all, and, and whatever you don't eat, you burn. There, there's an emphasis on th this is not a dabbling. Th throughout the New Testament, it talks about dabblers. Hebrews chapter 6 talks about those who, who tasted the goodness of God, who, who just dabble around with Christianity. I, I believe the emphasis in, in Exodus 12 on you eat it all is you're either in on Jesus or you're not. You, you can't be a little bit in. You can't dabble around with faith. You either believe and you embrace him fully and completely, or you don't. In verse 11, they were to eat in haste, okay? You know what haste means, right? Urgency, in a hurry, okay? They're to eat in haste. They're to be ready for, to be delivered. They're to have their shoes on and their belt fastened and their staff in their hand as they eat the Passover lamb. I think there's a couple things there. I think, number one, this was an urgent time period. They killed the lamb when? At twilight. When's the, when is the destroyer coming? At midnight. 
okay? They, they've got a time period there where they must act. There, there can be no procrastination. There can be no putting this off. There can be no, hey, hey, let's smoke the lamb in our Traeger for a couple days, and, and then it'll be real tender. Man, there, there's a time that they've got to complete this, or they'll be judged by God. I would urge you today that your time is limited. I don't, I don't know how long it is. I don't know what your time is. I don't know when Christ is going to come back. But I do know this. You have, you have an urgency upon your life. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. In a day of salvation, I've helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Number one, they were to act because there was an urgency to getting the blood of the lamb upon their doorpost. And number two, they were to act in faith. I, I love the picture of them eating with their belts fastened, their coat on, their shoes on, their staff in their hand. It, it would be the equivalent today of you having the, your car keys in your hand, the vehicle fueled up, the suitcases in the back. You know, maybe it's running. That, that would be the equivalent. You know, what, what, what is the, what's the picture there? We're going to be delivered tonight. We believe tonight God will do what he has said. I love, they've been in slavery for 400 years. And tonight, they are to believe God that in a few moments, they're going to be delivered. I would say the same for you as well. If you will put the blood of the lamb upon your life today, you need to believe God that you'll be delivered. You need to be ready. You need to be ready to walk out of sin and walk out of death and to walk into life. You need to believe. Exodus 12, verse 12 is an interesting verse. It says this, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. We didn't take the time to look at this, but I think history has shown us that, that all the plagues were related to one of the gods of Egypt. So in other words, they, they worshiped the Nile River. What was the first thing God did? He turned it to blood. Most, most historians believe that every one of those plagues was targeting, toppling one of the gods of Egypt. All the way to Pharaoh. Pharaoh considered himself a god and he considered his son to be a god. God is about to remove the gods of Egypt. I would tell you the same thing today. That if you put your faith in Jesus Christ... If you apply the blood of Jesus to your life, your false gods got to go. God's going to topple them. God's going to remove them out of your life. In Exodus 12, verse 13, when God sees the blood, he says, I will pass over you. I will not pour my wrath upon you. Guys, I, I want you to marvel for just a moment at the beauty of, the reality that no matter what you've done, no matter what sins you've committed, that the blood of Jesus is able to forgive those, to wipe them away, to cover them, so that God passes over you. His judgment passes over you. Apply the blood of Jesus to your life. 
I really like the picture of the door frame to your house. A lot of you probably have front door, side door, back door. You might have all kinds of doors. Probably they had one door. And so to get in the house, to get in the family, if, if you will, you went through the door. And, and they had this visible identifying with the Passover lamb on their house. And I would ask you this morning, do you have the visible identification with Jesus Christ upon you? I baptized a couple people last Sunday, and, and I love the picture. The picture is Jesus died, and he was buried, and he rose again, right? The picture of baptism is the old me is dead, buried. The new me is raised up. In other words, baptism is an identification with Jesus. The blood on their door was an identification with the blood of the, of the lamb. Your testimony, I believe, should be a public identification that you're with Christ. Your transformed life. Your, the changes that God makes in you should be this trumpeting forth that you are joined to Jesus. In other words, if you're a Christian here today, you, you should have some visible signs on your life that indeed you're joined to Jesus. I don't know that if you caught it or not, but the Israelites' calendar changed at the Passover. In Exodus 12, 1 and 2, God said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year. God was saying everything changes with the blood of the Lamb. I would tell you this morning that 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. In other words, I've really lived two lives, okay? There was me prior to May of 1990, and then there was the blood of, land, the blood of the Lamb being applied to my life, me buying, being identified with Jesus, and there's been a different life since then. It's a new beginning. And not only is it a new beginning, but it's a new beginning that should be remembered again and again and again. Do you see what he tells them in, in Exodus 12, verses 14 and 15? I won't read all this, but, but let, we'll read enough to get the gist of it. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the first day you shall remove the leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. And he gives them a bunch of other instructions about that day. So in other words, Israel was to remember this day of salvation, this day when the wrath of God passed over them because of the blood of the Lamb. And they were to remember that year after year after year. And you know how they started remembering that? How they were to start the feast? By removing all the yeast, all the leaven, I'm sorry, all the leaven from their house. You see, when ladies would cook bread, they would always keep a batch of leaven so that they could, you know, put it in the next batch and the next batch so they would leaven. You were to clean all of that out of your house. Now, is God that worried about bread? Well, in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul says the meaning of that is that you need to get the sin out of your life. That you need to remember the blood of Jesus for you again and again. And as you remember that, you know what you do? You confess and you repent of your sins. You clean out your house, guys. You're not, not, not chicken, chicken nugget boxes and, 
and grass from the front yard. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your spiritual life. You clean out your spiritual life as you remember the blood of Jesus for your sins. In a moment, we're going to remember Jesus' sacrifice in the Lord's Supper, and we're going to do that together. So the guys would come and remove the paper towels from the, uh, the tables. Friends, what a great opportunity for us to celebrate today, having looked at the Passover, okay? So, so when Jesus and the disciples were celebrating the Passover together, Jesus said, guys, this is my body. This is my blood. He is our sacrificial lamb. And so we're not celebrating the Passover this morning. We're doing something better. We're doing something more clear. We are remembering that Jesus is our Passover lamb. Jesus is the one who is sacrificed on your behalf and my behalf. Hopefully, as, as Deb begins to play here in a minute, you start cleaning house, guys. Hopefully, you take a moment just to, to be before the Lord and say, God, is there anything I need to confess? Is there, is there sin in my life? Is there pride that I need to turn away from? Is there, is there selfishness? God, have, have I ignored you? God, have I not made you a priority? God, am I wrong with my brother? Am I wrong with my sister? Is there, is there forgiveness that needs to be given? Is there bitterness that I've stored up? You clean your house. You clean out the old leaven. And you remember that you're new. The great thing about confessing sins, I talked to a brother about this. That's why I was a little bit late. Come from 945. I, I talked to him about confessing your sins. Man, he was so burdened that his sins had just stained him. I said, no, no, no. That's, that's the beautiful thing about the blood of Jesus is that we can, when we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, right? So we clean our house and we remember the blood of Jesus. We confess our sins. We, we affirm that his blood is for our salvation. It brings us forgiveness and justification and life. So in a moment, we're gonna partake of the supper together and we're gonna do this, I guess what we call COVID style, okay? Uh, we started this back in June. And so instead of passing a plate to everybody, uh, we're going to try to do it a little more complying with the health codes. And, and we're going to have you come. And you'll just come and you'll grab one of these cups. We got a little smarter from the last time we did it. We, we've got two cups together. So you have your, your juice on top and you have your bread on the bottom. And so you'll grab one, take it to your seat. You'll pull those apart. And then when everybody's been served, you wait, you wait. When everybody's been served, then I'll walk you through Matthew 26 together. And we'll partake of the bread and we'll partake of the cup, okay? So I, I'm gonna pray, and then I'm, I'm gonna just have you come. At, at first, I thought we had to, you know, dismiss in sections, but I figured out that you guys can handle this, you know? Don't trample over anybody, okay? If you, if, you have, if you have mobility issues, you're like, you know, it's gonna be hard for me to get up there and get back. All you gotta do is raise your hand, and we got some guys here that are ready to grab one of our trays and bring it to you. And they'll bring it to you, and you can pick it out of the tray, Okay? Father, I pray that as we remember the blood of Jesus shed for us, as we remember the body of Jesus broken for us, Jesus, you're our Passover lamb. You are the reigning, ruling lamb of the universe. And you're our king. 
Father, help us to remember and to apply the blood of Christ to our lives today. In Christ's name, amen.